Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International Podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. As we've been praying this week concerning last night and tonight, it's so interesting because the Lord just began to highlight to us the spirit of adoption. And we're asking the Lord, well, how, how do you want to connect this together? But as we were praying together here at the gate, every day it was just coming out. The Lord was speaking about the spirit of adoption. And I believe that there's a call in the spirit tonight, a call to prayer and a call to action. It's not only that he wants to give us the right way of thinking, but he also wants to give us the right way of acting. That the revelation demands a response in our hearts. That as we come into right understanding that it motivates us to take, st- to take steps forward, that we affect change in our life, that it affects our decision-making process. That the things that maybe we didn't value as much before, all of a sudden they're going to be lifted up tonight. And the things that are wrong patterns of thinking, they're going to they're come down so that we can walk in that truth that Nehemiah was exhorting us in, in John 8.31. 8.31, praise the Lord. And so the spirit of adoption, as we were, it was so interesting because a couple weeks ago, the Lord began to speak to me and say that the lens or the glasses to read Romans 9, 10, and 11 is through the glasses of the spirit of adoption. And I began to think about these themes because it's a journey that my wife and I are going on very physically right now as we're adopting two children. But I began to think about rejection, an acceptance, about being grafted in, being brought in, being given a heritage, being given roots, being restored so nourishment and life can flow throughout the tree or the body, if you will. And I believe that the spirit of adoption connects us. And I believe that the Lord wants to come and pour out his spirit to connect things in our hearts and in our thinking tonight. He wants to connect us to our history and to our inheritance. He wants to open up and say, oh, that these riches, they belong to me. Oh, this inheritance that I have of the things of God, it belongs to me. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to have a confidence in the good inheritance that I have. It speaks to our identity But whenever our identity comes into alignment, it opens up our destiny. Whenever our identity, our understanding about God's thoughts and how he made us and how he designed us and how he wants us to be, it doesn't stop at me, but it stops, it pushes us forward into God's purposes in the whole earth. And so the spirit of adoption comes to connect us tonight to identity, to destiny, to our, our inheritance, to our heritage, to the story that we are literally being written in to the pages of God's story throughout history. That this is our book. This is our story. This is part of our inheritance. Grafting us in to a heritage. The spirit of adoption ushers us into the mystery of the one new man. 
Paul speaks about a few things in the, books of, in the book of Ephesians as mysteries. And the mysteries that he speaks about are for those to, of, of the people of God to search out. They're for revealing. They're for discovery. They're, they're to be explored. And one of them he speaks about is the mystery of the one new man. Somehow in God's amazing plan, he said, I'm going to take a nation, as we talked about last night. I'm going to take them of the least, the weakest of the vessels, to be an instrument, to be a vessel of my glory. But he doesn't stop at that. That he brings Jew and Gentile together in the last days. And he calls us the one new man. The spirit of adoption ushers us into the one new man. You belong. You're an orphan no longer. You're not cut off. You're not without resource. You're not without a name. You're not without a history. But you belong in God's family and you belong in God's magnificent plan. That sets our hearts free. That's the truth that breaks out inside of us and that establishes us, that we get plugged back in to that that olive tree that Paul speaks about, where the nourishment and the life, and we can begin to bear fruit, we can reproduce, and we can multiply because we are connected. So I want you to, to hear this. It's not about peoples, but it is. Because it's God's choosing and it's God's design. But ultimately, it's about his glory being seen on Jew and Gentile as they come together in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. The spirit of adoption, I'm going to say it again so that it sinks in a little bit long, deeper into our hearts, ushers us in to the mystery of the one new man. No longer any barriers between us. And yet, he made us distinct. He compares this mystery to the mystery of a man and a woman. I remember one time, I was uh, with my dad, and we were in the north of England, and I was a, a younger guy, I was a teenager at that time. If I ever, I didn't really ever have a strong, like, rebellious period, but if I ever had something, it was kind of at this time, and I was, you know, a little bit, just wanting to be cool and that kind of thing. And we, had, we were taking this holiday into the city, and we were in the city of Birmingham now. If you're from the UK, that, that's hard to, to fathom and to understand why you would go on holiday or vacation to Birmingham. But anyway, we were there, and we're walking down the street, and we happened to go by a Christian bookstore. And outside of the bookstore, there was a precious, dear old lady. And, she was, and there was a man who was full of zeal that was arguing with her. And, and there, a crowd had gathered around, and they were arguing over this issue of God's plan for Israel and the Jewish people. And she was trying to share it, and this guy was so aggressive, and this younger man, and he was just pushing her, and she didn't have a lot to say, and she couldn't really defend herself, but you could see that there was something sincere and pure in her heart. And my dad, being the bold, prophetic type that he is, walks into the middle of the circle and gets in the guy's face, and he says, look, leave this lady alone. And the guy says, well, listen, the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, and she's talking about Israel, and it offends me. And my dad says, well, it also says that there's neither male nor female, so which one aren't you? It's a bit naughty. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, is that the mystery of a man and a woman is likened to Jew and Gentile together. They're both a mystery. They are distinct. 
They have their own uniqueness that God made, but they're brought together as one. They're brought together as one, and yet they remain distinct because uniqueness of calling, uniqueness of identity. But in Messiah, a man and woman come together and become one in the covenant of marriage. In Messiah, Jew and Gentile come together as the one new man. The spirit of adoption ushers us in to this understanding. So when we were talking about the theme for this weekend and why stand for, with, with Israel, um, we, Maya said, please ad- address the question. It's on the brochure, and uh, we want to give them something practical, and we want to give them a response. We don't want to only inspire them or tell, tell them a lot of, of uh, stories from Scripture, but give, give them something practical. So I want to talk to you tonight and share. We're going to look at a lot, of, a lot of Scripture, but seven reasons why to stand with Israel. We're going to look at uh, seven different areas. We're just going to scratch the surface, really. We could spend a week uh, just going through and pouring in and digging into the scriptures. But I hope that it will provoke you to dig a little deeper, because that's when you get it. Often the things that you relate to in a message that are like those aha moments are because the Holy Spirit has already borne witness in your own heart of that. And someone says it, and you said, well, I didn't have the words for it, but that was already alive inside of me when I was reading the Word of God. And so we pray for some aha moments that will cause you, put a, give you an itch to dig deeper, to look at these Scripture passages and own them and say, Lord, I want to mine out. I want to dig deep and grab a hold of what you have. Aha. Thank you, Lord. Let me, just, let me just pray for us here. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you love to illuminate your word. Father, we ask for grace to be a channel of revelation that flows into our hearts as we look at your word, that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our ears, that you would open our hearts. We pray for the spirit of adoption. We ask that that movement of the Holy Spirit would just go through the room. It would hover over us. That as we look at this, this, uh, why we're joined and linked and connected to a nation and to a people, to a land, a place, and a people, Lord God, we ask, Father God, that you would hover over us with the spirit of adoption and that you would show us how we connect where we belong, what our history is, what our identity is, what our inheritance is, and where our destiny is headed. We thank you, Lord. Come and move. Come and have your way. Thank you, Jesus. So the first, well, maybe I'll just, I'll just, I'll just say there's seven different reasons we want to look at why we're standing with Israel. And uh, I'll go over them, then we're going to go by them one by one and look at them. First, first one is that God loves Israel, that, 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 that they are the apple of his eye, that they are his inheritance and they are still close to his heart. The second one is that God has not finished with Israel. He's still working his plan and it's a good plan and it works. The third one, it's that out of a culture of honor, we honor our heritage and our roots. The fourth one, is about spiritual alignment, that the priorities of God's heart should be our own. And if our priorities aren't in line with God's heart, then we need a realignment. We need an adjustment. A a Holy Spirit is chiropractor. Or if you're into cars, to realign our wheels so that we can head in the right direction. 
That we won't be fighting against the direction of the Holy Spirit in our life. Number five, that it is an urgent message for the day that we're living in. It's a dividing line issue of where we stand in these last days with Israel. And number seven, that it's connected to worldwide revival and the second coming of Yeshua. Hallelujah. Let's take, let's take a look at these, okay? Are you ready to open, open the word of God? And to look at, first of all, the, that Israel is still the apple of his eye. And I'm going to throw out, if you have something to write with, I'm going to throw out some scriptures. I normally don't like to do it like this. I want to take time to go through each one, but we really don't have the time this evening. But write, jot them down, and as the, if the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart, to go and to dig deeper in that. But Israel is still the apple of God's eye. Psalm 148, verse 14. And he exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. A people near to him. God is still near to the people of Israel, the apple of his eye. Zechariah 2, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. He also speaks in Exodus about Israel being the apple of his eye, and I referred to that last night. Israel is the apple of his eye. They're still near to him, and they are still his inheritance. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 through 11. They are his inheritance. When the Most High divided your inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. And here in this passage, we sense the intimacy in the heart of the Lord concerning a people. We, 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 it's tender words that he speaks, the idea of an eagle stirring up the nest, brooding over its young, that they are the apple of his eye, that they are his portion, that they are his inheritance, that uh, Jacob is the place of his inheritance, the Lord's portion is his people. They still are his inheritance, they still are the apple of his eye, they are close to his heart. God loves his people, Israel. It seems basic and it seems simple, but when the revelation hits in the same way that when we recognize the love of God in our own life, we can know that God loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And we sing it and we hear it and we know it and it's foundational to faith. But the moment when we experience the reality of it, it shakes us to the core of our being. We're trained in the truth of the scriptures until, and we speak them, and we say them, and we sing them. We raise our children up to walk in those things, but with the hope that one day that experiential knowledge breaks forth in our hearts that changes us from the inside out. When I was young, my dad used to say to me, Matt, when you go to sleep, let the last words on your mouth be, I love you, Lord. 
He said, let that be the last thing of the day. It's good for your dream life. I love you, Lord. And so it became my routine and my pattern. And every night, it's very simple. It's a short prayer. Shorter than now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, no, 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 no. I love you, Lord. And so one night, when I was about 22 years old, 22 years old, from saying that prayer, I love you, Lord, that declaration to the Lord, night after night after night, 22 years old, just by routine one night, turning over in bed, and I just whispered it to the Lord, I love you, Lord, pulled my cover over me and got settled for the night. As I was rolling over, I heard the voice of the Lord speak and say, I love you, Matthew. All those years of saying it was worth that one moment of revelation, that one moment of experiential knowledge of the love of God. And so when we say that God still loves Israel, it may sound simple and basic, but when we connect to the very heart of God, revelation breaks open in our hearts and we say, because you love them, I love them. What you love, I love. And as you stand with them, I will stand with them. In Romans 11, it says that they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. 11 verse 28. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say that they were loved. Speaking about, I mean, we're talking about history, right? It says they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. Jeremiah 31. You hear the tenderness. Actually, let's, let's turn there. Jeremiah 31. You hear the tender heart of God over the people of Israel. Verse 1, at the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Spirit of adoption, come. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when I went to give him rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I have loved you with an everlasting, with an unending, with a never-ending, with a perpetual love. God's love for his people in its tenderness and in its affection is also everlasting. It speaks both to the quality but also to the quantity of time. There's no end to my love. It keeps being poured out. As he loves Israel, he loves us. As we love him back, we begin to love the things that he loves more. It's the same way in our relationships. He, put, he set us in a family. As we learn to love God, we love our brother and sister more. As we learn to love God, we love him back, and he pours out greater love and capacity to love, to love our family, to love our church, to love our neighborhood, to love the people that he's placed us around. And it grows to such a place that we begin to, our heart pours out love for those that we don't even know. Now, it may seem that here we're in the Northwest, we're far, geographically speaking, it's not a center of Jewish community here in Spokane. But when we begin to connect to the loving heart of God, those priorities become our priorities. Father, give us your love to stand with your people. Give us tenderness, Lord, to stand with you as you love them, as they are the apple of your eye, as they are your inheritance, 
as Jacob is your portion, give us that kind of love. So number one, God is, Israel is still the apple of God's eye. Number two, God has not finished with Israel. You see, God in his nature is consistent. He doesn't change. His purposes are eternal. Everything in our life is in the state of flux. Everything in our life goes up and down. Our experiences, whether it's in our spiritual life and the practical things, in our journeying through our, the ages of our life, all those things, we go through ups and downs. But with God, he's the one constant that never changes. In him, there is no shadow of turning. There's nothing that changes in God. He is constant. He's rock steady. He's one that we can hold on to and cling on to. And he has a plan for his people, and he's still working that plan. The plan that he had, you see, some people... People read the scriptures and they think that God is schizophrenic. They think that, that, that he had a plan and the people were rebellious. And because of they were rebellious and because they were hard-hearted, that he couldn't work it anymore. So he had to come up with a new plan called the New Testament. But God is consistent. God is constant. God never changes. He's the solid rock. He's the one that we can always stand on. He's our sure foundation. And and as he spoke his word and he tells us his plan, it hasn't changed. He's working it from beginning to end. And as we talked about last night, he uses the ups and downs to show his glory to the whole earth. And so God has not finished with his people. He's still working his plan. He doesn't change his mind. He did not reject his people whom he foreknew. It says in Romans 11. In Isaiah 44, he speaks this promise over Israel, and he says, you are my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. Ezekiel 36, I will bring you back into your own land. I will give you a new heart and put my spirit within you. He's working his plan. Even in the rebellion, even in the rejection of him, he pours out grace. He pours out his spirit. He says, okay, well, I'll give you a new heart. Your heart is of stone. Well, guess what? I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And he works his plan from beginning till end. God is still in love with his people. They're still the apple of his eye. He has not finished with his plan, number two. He's still working it, and it's a good plan. It's an amazing plan. And so we stand with Israel because we know that he has not finished with them. Number three, the third reason why we stand with Israel is out of honor. There's much talk these days of a culture of honor. It's kind of a buzzword, I think, and, uh, and I hear people everywhere talking about, oh yeah, a culture of honor, a culture of honor, and it's so right, and it's so true. But let me tell you something. The original culture of honor comes from the very heart of God. Honor is, is a response of love, and God is love, right? And, uh, and this culture of honor recognizes our faith heritage. It recognizes our roots. It recognizes our history. You see, the gospel itself is a Jewish me- message about a Jewish Messiah given to Jewish disciples with a Jewish context. Now, if that bothers you, I'm sorry. It's hard for me as a Jewish person to say it, but it's true. It's hard for me to say that in front of you in this, in this context uh, that we are in right here. But that's the truth of God's word. And we must stay to the truth of God's word. He will perform it. He will do it. He is working his plan in the earth and he will get the glory from that. You see, our faith, Christianity... What's known today as Christianity wasn't born in a vacuum. 
It wasn't like all of a sudden Jesus just came from the heavens, came to earth, was revealed, and he said, I'm the Messiah, you repent of your sins, or, you know, he was, the, uh, he was the, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. All these ideas were formed according to the plan of God when he chose a people and he said, I'm going to work through them, and he set up a priestly system. He gave his law, and then he, and then he said, I'm going to teach about sin and redemption of sin. I'm going to teach about the holiness of God and how one can approach the holiness of God. And so he used a people, a nation, to be a priest nation. And even in their failure, he still was revealing his character, his nature, and his ways so that that it pointed us towards the Messiah. So that when Yeshua came, when Jesus came, it was the fulfillment of all of the law and all of the prophets. It was the fulfillment of the longing of a nation. You see, there's no vacuum. It wasn't all of a sudden, bada-bing, Jesus comes on the scene. And then all of a sudden, we just have this revelation. No, let me tell you that it's not just the spiritual reality that's up here. It's rooted. It's grounded. It's in the earth. It's in a place. And it's in a people over a history of the story of God's redemption in the earth. We honor our heritage, the Jewish roots of our faith. And that gives us an understanding. Scriptures begin to be opened up when we begin to look at the full picture of the story of God. We begin to see with new eyes and say, oh my God. You've been working this for so long. You've been setting everything in place. I can see that, that, that you have been in patience and in love over, over history. You've been forming and making a way that, so that when you sent your only begotten son... And that John spoke and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. Israel, who came out to hear the message of John, they understood exactly what he was saying. They understood that the Lamb that could never fully cover for for their sins because of sin and the faults of it, now was a perfect one, fully man and fully God, who came and who came as the second Adam. And because Adam fell as a man, here was a man God named Jesus, the perfect, the spotless one who could atone for the sins of the nation. And they understand, Messiah, son of David. And they began to recognize him and their eyes were open because it was part of a heritage. It was part of a history. It was part of a plan that God has. Romans 11, would you turn there? We're going to be coming back and forth between Romans 9, 10, and 11 as we look at these different points. Romans 11, verse 17. Well, let's jump back to verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Here, Paul is speaking and he's saying, choose honor rather than a haughty spirit. Choose honor. Be a people of honor. Recognize that there's a rootedness in the faith that you were grafted into. Recognize that there is a history that's touched, that is embedded into earth. 
Now, the gift of the Jewish people to the nations of the world is that they are a rooted people. That the, the way that Yeshua spoke, he spoke in parables about agriculture, about um, um, sheep and shepherds and, and, and all of these things. The, the way that God spoke about his feast and his timetable was to do with the agricultural calendar. It's connected to an earthiness, something that's, that's substantial, that can, that's touching the earth. Now, there has been, through the history of the church, a great um, a revelation concerning the spiritual things, the things of heaven and touching the things of heaven. In the one new man, by the spirit of adoption, we see heaven and earth come together. And that's the full plan. That's the full picture. We need to be a rooted people, but we also need to be a people that were born of heaven as well. And so in the one new man, Jew and Gentile, we come together under the spirit of adoption as one new man and heaven and earth comes together. When we honor our heritage, when we honor our roots, we are connecting. There's that earthiness to it. Do you know what I'm, do you understand what I'm saying? Without taking time to go through all the examples of it uh, in the scriptures. But it's, it's about being rooted. It's about being established. You know, the, uh, the Bible uses trees as symbols of humanity. And, and the scriptures say that we are to be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And I love that picture because a tree has to have its roots going down deep into the earth and drawing uh, nutrients and, and water up for it to thrive. But a tree grows in the direction of the heavens. It grows towards the sun. Its branches spread out. And that's like us, that we're to be a rooted people. But we're also to be constantly growing upward and outward. That we are citizens of heaven, but he's planted us here on the earth. And we bring heaven and earth together. And it's seen beautifully in the picture of the one new man, Jew and Gentile, together in Messiah. Thank you, Lord. The root supports you. Choose honor. Choose the culture of honor to honor what God, to honor God's election, to honor God's choice, and to honor the plan that he's established. Are you following me? Okay, that's good. Romans chapter 3. Jump back a few chapters. Romans 3. We honor Israel. Romans 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. There was something that was given as Chandi had in his vision as a new believer of this Jewish man at the wall carrying these scriptures. And he recognized that there there was a bearing of the word of God throughout time, if I'm remembering, interpreting what you said correctly. And that's so true. Here Paul is saying the advantage of a Jew is that they have carried the oracles of God. Now too, in the Greek context, this is what an oracle was. An oracle was a... Um, it was basically a su- the supernatural voice coming through a human medium. And so God chose uh, a section of humanity, the weakest, a, a nation called Israel, to carry his supernatural voice into the earth. That means that all of the scripture 
is living Word of God. It has supernatural power behind it. It's not just the, the stuff at the back of the book. It's not just the last third of the book. But it all is living and active and it's powerful and it's useful for every area of our life. And it was given to the Jewish people to be safeguards of the Word of God. We could go into the history of the, the translations and, the, and how the, the canons of Scripture were formed and how God used the Israelites and the Jewish people to, to protect His Word so that the manuscripts were copied and passed down and, and all of that, but we don't have time to do that. But just to understand and to know that it was given them to be those that would bear and that they would carry and that they would protect and they would, they would pres- preserve the precious Word of God. You see, the Scriptures were primarily given to Jews. They were spoken. If you do this with me, take your Bible. If you were to take your Bible and flick all the way through from the Genesis 1 and take it all the way to Acts chapter 15. Okay, that's a good, that's a good section of the scriptures there. From Genesis 1 to Acts 15, there's a basic assumption that this is a Jewish scriptures that's written and it's directed towards Jewish people. And that to be saved, to walk with God, to know God, you must become a Jew. All of this past, that's the context from Genesis 1 to Acts chapter 15. Then if you take your finger and you put it in the book of Hebrews at the end, towards the end, to the end of Revelation, most of these scriptures are addressed to Jews. Hebrews and James are addressed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Peter, John, and Jude believe to be addressed to Messianic Jews. And most of the book of Revelation is addressing God's future plan for the nation of Israel. You have this huge context of the scriptures. It was given to them. It was given through them and for them to protect and to safeguard. So if we talk about a culture of honor, we want to honor God's choosing. And so we honor and we stand with Israel because of that. Romans chapter 9. We're going to speed through here. I know there's, there's a lot to cover. Romans chapter 9. We read it last night, and we'll just refresh ourselves. I tell the truth in Messiah. I'm not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Messiah came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Here Paul gives a list of things, and he's saying, I'm crying out to God for the salvation of my people because because they have carried these things. They have carried these things, and they have given them to the church. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he he understood the plan of God. He understood the one new man and how they carried these things and they presented and all of a sudden they opened up the riches of the plan of God to every nation. And they were given, it's like a baton that was passed from Israel to the church. And in Paul's ministry, he would, there was that shift that was taking place where the gospel was going out to the ends of the earth through that. But he was saying, do not forget 
as he was going and he was, he was breaking new territory, he was crossing frontiers to preach the gospel into new places in Asia Minor and across Europe, and his eyes were set on the nation of Spain to carry the gospel. He's saying, here is a list of things that, that, that my people have carried and that were to honor. The adoption, God's choice in choosing the seed of Abraham as a people, and the, and the spirit of adoption that we talked about earlier as a, as a reading glasses, the lens to understand Romans 9, 10, and 11. Rejection, acceptance, being brought in, being given a name, becoming part of the family of God. The glory, he talks about, the manifest presence of God revealing himself was given to the nation of Israel. God revealed his glory to Moses. He revealed his glory to the people of Israel. He was a pillar of fire, and he was, he was that cloud by night. He, he, was the, he was the fire in the middle of his people. He, say, he speaks over Jerusalem, and he says that I'm a wall of fire around you, and I'm your glory within you. He revealed himself to Moses, to Abraham. He revealed himself to the prophets. The manifestation of the glory of God was given through this people. To them were given the covenants. We have the covenant that God made with Abraham. We have the covenant that God made with Moses in giving of the law. We have the new covenant that we read about in Jeremiah 31 in the book of Ezekiel. The covenants were given to the Jewish people. They were given to Israel to safeguard. And it's, it gives us reason to, to honor what God honors and to honor his choice. The service of God was given. That's the whole priestly system that I was talking to you about a few moments again. In the priestly system, it teaches us about the fulfillment that is in Jesus himself. The book of Hebrews, chapters 1 through 10, tell us how he is both our great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but he is also the perfect spotless lamb of God. That he fulfilled the law and the prophets to every detail. It doesn't mean that he filled it, that he finished it, but he filled it full of meaning. He filled it full of value. All of the service of the priests, year after year, they were bringing sacrifices, bloody sacrifices. They were offering incense that were giving their service to the Lord in the temple was pointing towards a day when the Messiah would come and finally it would be filled full of meaning. People that live for generation after generation without seeing the fullness in Jesus, it came to the fullness. And we wouldn't know the power of the Son of God if we didn't understand the priestly service, that we didn't understand the giving of the law. It was given to them the service of God, the priestly system, that we'd see our need for a Messiah. The promises, both those that have been fulfilled and those that are yet to be seen were given through his people. The fathers, the patriarchs, the examples of men of faith, men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and David, and the prophets, and that we look to as the heroes of our faith. It was given to, to Israel to, to be those. And so Paul is saying here, saying, I'm willing to be separated to you from, from you forever if it would be for the salvation of my people because they have carried these things and you chose in your plan to partner to with them and to show your glory in the earth through them. The Messiah himself, the book of Revelation says, is both the root and the son, the offspring of David. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first and he's the last. He's the alpha and he's the omega. Jesus himself, the, the Messiah, was born according to the flesh through Israel. 
If anything, that's reason enough to give honor where honor is due. To, to that we say we want to live a culture of honor. We want to honor our heritage. Our, our heritage, we want to honor our root system. And out of it, we want to draw the life of God so that we might flourish as your people, that we might be fruitful and that we might fill the earth. Thank you, Lord. Number four, spiritual alignment. Thank you, Father. Just want to pray again. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for illuminating your word to our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for allowing, Lord God, revelation just to go off inside of us, Father God. As we look at these scriptures, as we catch a glimpse of the greatness of your plan, Lord God. As we catch a glimpse, Lord, of of these reasons why you've called us to stand with your people, Lord God. Father, we want to see the big picture. That ultimately, it's your glory in the whole earth. But Father, also, Lord, we ask that by the Spirit, that you would teach us, Lord God. That you would train us in righteousness. That we'd be able to see your word and that your word would become alive. And that we'd see the, the big picture and that we would see, Lord God, line by line, Lord, how you've been working and moving forward your plan to redeem the whole earth and to fill it with your glory. Spiritual alignment. God's priorities must be our own. What is important to God should be important to us. You see, God is a God of order, of divine order. Now, sometimes this offends our Western free expression and that kind of mindset that we have of individualism and and, and the power of our choice and our decision and that I impact my own destiny and all of these kinds of thinking that we think is a part of us. Really, it's carnal thinking. God is a God of order. He's set up a divine order. He's working a plan throughout the ages. He's working his ways into the earth. And he says that there's some priorities that he has and that he's placed. Exodus 4.22 speaks about Israel as my firstborn. Exodus 4.22 says, you are my firstborn. And you see, in that context, uh, in understanding not only in Judaism, but in the ancient cultures, the firstborn carried both a double portion blessing, but also extra responsibility. Not only has God blessed Israel and made them fruitful even in their sin, we see today Even in secular, unbelieving Israel, they're at the forefront, the cutting edge of innovation, cell phone technology. Much of what's gone on in the internet advances today come out out of the nation, this tiny little country. There has been influence into, into, the, into medicine and in, into science, into so many areas for such a small nation. They're blessed by God, even, even in their sin, because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, that he doesn't change his mind. But at the same time, when they sin and when they turn from him as a firstborn, they carry a double responsibility as well for their sin and for their turn. They carry that, that weight, and he, and he punishes them double than he does the nation. And we've seen that story. They were exiled into Babylon. They've been exiled, sent out of the land of promise. He allowed oppressors to come and to push them out, to train their hearts and to bring them back to himself. And yet in Zechariah, he speaks to the nations and he says, I used you as an instrument of judgment, but you took it too far. And so now I will turn against you and I will show mercy to Zion again. So there's a double honor but there's double responsibility. There's double the consequences for turning away from the calling of God. 
firstborn. It's a priority of God's heart. There's also this principle that comes out through the teaching of Yeshua of to the Jew first. It's taught by Yeshua in the Gospels, but then it's practiced by Paul as his mission methodology. First of all, Yeshua, he teaches like in Matthew 15, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Matthew 10, he says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jew first. He came to the Jew first. He, he, he taught his disciples, I want you to go to the Jew first. In Luke chapter 24, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witness of these things. I'm going to send you what my father's promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on, from on high. He said to the Jew first, and then he chose a city. He said, go to Jerusalem, and you're going to receive power there. Stay there until you get what you need to receive, to receive from, from me. In Acts chapter 1, he spoke and he said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, this is the order of God that he said, they're my firstborn and that, and that you're to go to them first. And, 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 and Paul, he did the same thing when he went out, when he went into a new city, he went to the synagogue, he went to his brothers first and he preached the gospel. He spoke about the Messiah to his own. And most of the time they rejected him. Most of the time they persecuted him. And then he would go to the Gentiles in that city. And often there was greater fruit there, but he stuck to that plan. Maybe not because it was the greatest strategy for a church planner. Maybe because it wasn't the greatest strategy for him as he's forging new ground. His response was mostly from the Gentiles, but he stuck to that same plan because it was God's divine order. It was the way that God said, this is how we go to the Jew first and then to the Jews. Let it be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so God has a divine order. He has a spiritual alignment for us to walk in where the priorities of his heart should become the priorities of of our hearts. Father, align us. Align our hearts to you. Number five, it's a dividing line issue. Whether we stand with Israel or not will be a critical issue in the last days. Please hear my heart. I hope, I hope that, you, that you were able to hear the message last night of how God chooses the least and the weakest. He chooses the vulnerable to be vessels that he shows his glory to through. It's not easy for me to stand up and to say these things, except that it's the word of God. It's not self-serving. There's no, I don't have any ambition. I don't have any agenda in this, but I, my only agenda is to preach what God has spoken and what he has for us to hear. And may our ears be open to be able to hear his order and to hear his ways and how he has chosen a people to demonstrate himself through in the earth. We must take action because it's a pivotally important time in history. Today, the showdown that we face is so close to being the nations of the earth against Israel and whoever's left that stands with them. 
Zechariah prophesies and other the prophets, they speak about in that day, in the day of the Lord, every nation will turn against Jerusalem. But there will be a remnant of those of the believing body of Messiah, of the church, that take a stand. And it will be an issue like it was in the Holocaust. In the Holocaust, there were choices that were presented to those nations where they said, will you sacrifice? Will you give yourself to stand with these people to protect them? And we hear about the atrocities of the Holocaust and how in many places the church turned a blind eye or they endorsed the work that the, that the Nazis did. But there are shining examples of righteous Gentiles who stood up in the, ma- in the face of extreme pressure that brought um, uh, their whole families into vulnerability, into risk. But they said, what can we do but stand with these people? Because this is the God of love that we know and these are his people. They, and there's story after story of those that must be trumpeted so that it inspires our heart today. That if it comes to that in Spokane, where will you stand? If it comes to that in the United States, where will you be standing? There will become a point in time, maybe now, where you could say, I'm going to push this off a little longer. But aren't we called by the Spirit of God to be a people prepared? Aren't we to understand the times and the seasons? Aren't we understand that we are approaching the day of the Lord and that we are to be those that are prepared for the day of His return and for His coming and the events that lead up to His coming, that we can have resolve in our hearts to say, I stand with your people, even in the face of pressure. I stand with your people because of your covenant promises, because of this is your order, because, uh, and, and just hear me in this. It may, you may not feel the urgency in it, but prophets are speaking it around the world that the times that we are approaching is a time where it becomes a critical issue that we cannot ignore. I implore you, think about it. Consider it. Where will you stand? Where will your churches, where will your family stand at such a time? It's a dividing line where we say we will stand with the Lord and with his people. God, give us strength and give us grace in the midst of this. The final issue and question will be, who is for God? Who is for his way and who isn't? The Lord has called us to be a people who will stand with moral and biblical conviction for critical issues. This is one of those issues. I want to say something in regards uh, to to Israel's neighbors and to their surroundings because we're speaking so much about Israel and God's purposes and plan. And you see that they are this tiny nation surrounded by oppressors, those that literally want to, to drive them into the sea. They have pronounced radical Islam and militant Islam has made horrific pronouncements concerning this small piece of territory. If you look at a map and you see North Africa and, and, and most of sub, sub-Saharan Africa that goes right across the center here, if you look on the map, and then across the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, across and then up, up Iran, Iraq, and all this area, all the area, Turkey over the top of it, all that area is under Muslim domination. There's this tiny piece of geography, and yet they want that too. That they desire that too, and to push. And the agenda is to push them out. And there is a spirit behind Islam that is militant and that is violent. That the name Islam means submission. And it's looking for everyone to come under submission. But I want to tell you something and then speak this. Be living in the Near East and as a Jewish person. Our heart in the eyes that we look at the Middle East and our region is through the eyes of love. 
And we differentiate between the spirit of Islam and the Arab peoples and the peoples that are locked up in the bondage in those lands. And, and the way that the Lord spoke it to us years ago is that he said, I want to give you two-eyed vision for the Middle East. I want you to be able to see with both eyes. You see, people tend to take sides. They, they, they take it as political or, or as some other kind of issue and they say, I, I choose Israel or I choose Ishmael. And if I love Ishmael, and if I have a heart for the Arabs, then I cannot love Israel and the Jewish people. But when God looks, he sees both of the sons of Abraham. And he says, I have blessed them, and I have a destiny for them. And he wants them in his kingdom, and he wants them under his salvation and his rule. And so I want to urge you that when I'm speaking about these God's promises for the land and for the people, it is not to ignore God's heart for the Arab peoples. But we look with through the eyes of love to see both Isaac and Ishmael, that they both have promises and they both have blessings from the Lord. It is our dream in Cyprus. And what we pray regularly is, God, would you raise us up as Jew and Arab together to run hand in hand through this region, pronouncing your gospel, carrying your fire, and seeing the salvation of souls. And so when we emphasize this, please do not hear a political agenda. Please don't hear a nationalistic agenda, but we cannot veer away from the straight up truth of the word of God concerning his people. Two-eyed vision for the Middle East. Differentiate between the spirit behind Islam and the people that are under its grip. That are in need of Yeshua just like the Jewish people are. Thank you, Lord. Worldwide revival. God has linked revival in the nations to the acceptance of the Jewish people accepting their Messiah. Romans 11, Chandi alluded to this earlier as he was testifying. Romans chapter 11 speaks about this. Verse 15, for if their casting away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? What does that mean, life from the dead? Resurrection life, resurrection power. This is our hope. We are a people of the resurrection. We follow a Messiah who was resurrected, who was risen and exalted, and that that is the power of God that is given for his people. We long to see resurrection. We are contending for resurrection power. We are contending for life. Life from the dead here in the earth. We are saying, God, we know it's to come. We know there's a resurrection to come. But we long to pull tomorrow and today. We long to see it in our midst. We're crying out to God and we're saying, we want to see life from the dead. Right here, Paul says in verse 15, if they're casting away, is reconciling the Lord, what will their acceptance be? What will their salvation be, be? What will it release in the earth? But the spirit of resurrection power. This is revival. More than just to be revived is to be resurrected, to come from death and into life, to come from darkness and come into light. Father, release the spirit of resurrection power in the midst of your people as we partner together with you concerning your purposes for the salvation of your people. Release resurrection power in our midst. I believe as you're contending and redigging the well of healing in the series, you're calling out to God, we want to be a people who 
who who see resurrection in our time and in our day. We want to see those that are in death raised back to life as an example of what is to come in fullness. We want to taste it with our own lips. We want to touch it with our own hands. We want to see your power. We want the eyes of the nation to see your glory as you begin to raise the dead here in this area. One way that you can do that is align yourself and begin to pray and to begin to give yourself and to cry out for the salvation of Israel. Because in that, there's a release in the earth of revival, of resurrection power, of life from the dead. Acts 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 through 21, it talks about the time of refreshing that will come and the restoration of all things. Seasons of refreshing that are coming. This is the revival that we're longing for. The, the time when all the promises of God begin to step into fullness. When the things are restored that have been broken, that have fallen away since the fall. The things that have passed away since the fall, that we want to see them with our eyes again. God connects the preaching of the gospel in Acts 3 in Jerusalem to the Jewish people to times of refreshing and the restoration of all things. Father, we thank you, Lord, for that spirit of revival in the nations and in the world that comes through the salvation of your people, Israel, Lord God. We cry out, Father God. We ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would connect our heart to the burden of your heart for your people. And that as we do that, Lord, it would provoke them to jealousy and their eyes would be open and the blinders would fall off and that they would turn to the one whom they pierced, Lord, that they would turn, Lord God, and that they would, they would turn back to you, Lord God, that, you would sh- that they would see Messiah in their eyes, that you would show Messiah to them, Lord God, and in that they would release your resurrection power in the earth. This is the day that we live in. This is what we have to look forward to. Let's get with the plan of God. Let's get in line with what he has. Revival is coming. And also, and the last of all, he speaks and he connects our standing with Israel to his second coming. Man, I tell you, one message that burns in my heart, that wakens hope in me, that gives me energy to endure and to keep pressing on is a message that he's coming again. And that he's coming quickly. That he's coming soon. And that when he comes, he's coming to a place called Jerusalem to set up his righteous rule and reign. And he'll judge the nations. That he'll rule over the nations. And he'll set up his kingdom in fullness and in power and in glory out of that place. This is the longing when everything that's broken is made right. This is the longing in our hearts to see the full restoration of the whole earth. It comes in fullness. What we taste now, we will see with measure when he comes. The second coming is the longing of the bride of Messiah to be near to him, to know him in fullness, to be joined together with him, to rule and to reign with him. Father, put that longing in our hearts. Spirit, come and, and stir our hearts for the second coming. And there he links in Matthew 23. Would you turn there with me? He links the return of Yeshua, the return of Jesus to Israel and the Jewish people. Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here, 
Yeshua speaks over Jerusalem and he says, I will not come again until you ask for me to come. I won't come again until you call for me and you call me blessed. And you call me blessed and you say, we, we, we welcome you. And in Hebrew, those words are Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. Now to the Jewish ear, that's very familiar. One Baruch Haba, it's welcome. It's the blessed is he that comes. And, but also, it is the words in the Jewish wedding ceremony when, the, when, when there's the call for the groom to come and approach the chuppah, the covering place. And so here he's saying, and he's alluding to, and he's connecting in their hearts, that one day, even though you have stoned the prophets, even though you have rejected me and your house is left desolate, one day there's going to be a wedding. One day there will be a call for the bridegroom to come. And it will be a call from a place. That place is called Jerusalem. And you as a believing remnant of people will call and you say, Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the bridegroom waiting on the very threshold of heaven will turn to the Father and say, Is this the time that I've been longing for? Is this the day when I'm released? I have a bride that I'm waiting for. I want to go and be with her. I want to be joined with her. And the Father will look at him and say, that's the requirement. He links the second coming. His return to the Jewish people asking him to come. Giving a wedding call. Bridegroom, come and stand. Let us be joined together. It's powerful. I don't know about you, but longing is welling in my heart as we're just reading these scriptures. Longing is welling in my heart. Father, we want the restoration of all things. Father, we know, Lord God, that we just see in part, but Lord, but the part that we see, we're longing for fullness. We want, to, we want to pull on, Lord God. We want to draw upon the fullness that you have for us. And Lord God, so we say we want to get in line with whatever it is and whatever it takes. And as we read through these scriptures, you've decided to use a people and a nation to reveal your glory in the earth, Lord God. And we say, Father God, that we want to get with your plan. Lord, we cry out to you, Lord God, and say, save your people, Israel, so that you can come. Save the remnant so they will call upon your name so that you can come and make everything right that is wrong, that you can come and restore. There must be a longing in our heart for restoration. In the same message that Yeshua gives, he speaks about the gospel of the kingdom going to the ends of the earth. If you connect Acts 1-8 that we know so well, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It's like it's, it's going out from Jerusalem. The gospel is going out under the power of the Holy Spirit. It, and it says, to the ends of the earth. And here we are over in the northwest, and we're waving. We're saying the gospel has landed here. The gospel's been established here. And Lord, we ask for the coming, Lord, of, your, of you. Lord, we ask for the day of your return. We're waving. We're saying, here's a people. Here's a a remnant that has been saved by grace and by faith and we connect our heart to your purposes concerning Israel. We want you to come. Now Acts 1.8 is connected to Matthew 24 verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation, and then the end will come. You see, the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. We see the greatest harvest of the day in the East. We see it in China. We see, we see it in Asia. The, 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 every day thousands are coming to the Lord. In the last century, and particularly in the last year since Israel became a state, there have been more people that have come to a living faith in Jesus than all 2,000 years of history. At the same time as that, there have been more Jewish people that have come to faith in Yeshua than all the 2,000, and it's, a, and it's by a radical proportion. This is the privilege of the time that we've been born into. These are the days that the prophets of old longed to see. These are the days that the kings, they longed to touch. And we were privileged to be born. But we cannot just sit in our aisle. We cannot just sit in our our pew and just kind of read the same scriptures over and over again and miss the eternal plan of God. But rather we say, align my heart to your word. Align my heart to your plan. Align my heart to your people. Align my heart to the land that you chose and to the people that you chose so that you come again and fill the earth with your glory so that we can celebrate and rejoice. Are we were made for that intimate union with the Lord. We were made to live in the joy of the fullness of his presence. There's something in the heart of every man and woman, woman, whether they realize it or not, that longs to be united with the Lord. We will see it in fullness when he comes. And he linked the destiny of the nations to the destiny of a people, a priest people named Israel. Things are going to come full circle as the gospel has gone out to the farthest parts of the earth in preparation for his feet to touch down in Jerusalem. There must be a voice that's raised that says, we welcome you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The very areas where we're based in Cyprus, the the countries that surround us, are the areas that are hard to the gospel. That's where the church was born. And we're crying, we're saying, God, it's gone to the ends of the earth. Let it come back. And we were there like watchmen in Cyprus. And we're saying, when we begin to see revival in our region, we know that the day of the Lord is near. And so we're standing like a, a, a speaker, prophesying and singing and living our life and training and asking God, make us an apostolic center in the region for your gospel to go forth so that when it begins to happen, we'll turn our eyes to Jerusalem and we'll look for a crack in the sky. We'll look for the clouds to open and the Son of glory to come riding on a white horse, coming with the armies of heaven to rule and to reign, to set up his righteous kingdom. That's the man that we follow. That's the one that we follow. God chose one man, and he has one plan, and he chose a people to work that plan through. Thank you for the adoption. Thank you for the fathers. Thank you for the giving of the law. Thank you for the, the priestly service, Lord God. Thank you for those that you called to carry the oracles of, uh, of, you, of your voice, your supernatural, living, powerful voice, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, and we honor what you honor, and we honor your election, Father God. We honor your choice, though we don't understand it. Somehow, Lord, inside of us, we recognize that you're doing a work in this day and age by releasing the spirit of adoption in the earth that brings Jew and Gentile together, and to Together will be a remnant in the earth that will cry out for your return. There will be a voice that will be a people prepared, Lord God.
Father, and we pray in this place, in this neighborhood, and in this city, raise up the one new man. Awaken the one new man in power and glory, in, in mutual blessing, in an honor flowing back one to another so that you are glorified and there is a witness for you in this place. I want to ask you, do you want to be a part of this? I want to ask you, how, how will you respond to this? And how, 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 how will you um, take steps of action in this, regard, in this regards? Love must lead us to action. Revelation requires a response. Right thinking and right acting. Often we've been only focused on the renewal of our mind. But if the renewal of our mind doesn't change our habits, if the renewal of our mind doesn't change our actions, then we only have half of the picture. You see, a Hebraic idea is that the totality, the wholeness of a person must be transformed. Even in, in rehab and in the different um, um, places where we're bringing people out of addiction and, and changing behaviors, they recognize it's not only to get them to think differently, they have to begin to do something. They have to begin to change their actions. They've got to change what they were doing before and do something else. And by thinking rightly and acting rightly, we, we, we come into transformation. We come into change. And I pray that, to, that today, this evening, that we would not only have a renewing of our mind, but that we'd have a renewing of our actions action, that we would put action, we put feet to what it is that God has given us. So here's some practical points. We pray. Everything that's birthed in the kingdom is birthed through prayer. It's not because of something trite to say or something right to say. It's because it's the power for change. When we pray, we come into alignment. When we pray, things begin to shift in the heavenlies and they shift on earth. And so this is what you do. Begin to grab a hold of those scriptures. Maya said Isaiah 60, 61, and 62 are to be proclaimed in this area over the nation of Israel. Take those. There's three chapters. Dig into them and begin to pray the scriptures back to God. When I get a stirring by the Holy Spirit to pray into something, often I don't have full understanding. But when I open my mouth and pray in the Spirit, when I open my mouth and pray, the Word of God, revelation begins to fall. It begins to lock down in my heart. And then I pray the word of God. I speak the word of God. I mull over it. I meditate on it. I tell it back to the Lord. And in that place, all of a sudden, I own it. Pray Isaiah 61, 60, 61, and 62. That's a word. You, I mean, we all know Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's a command. You're probably, probably already doing that. Let me tell you something. It's not enough. It's not enough. We can't take prayer as a formula. We can't take prayer as a, as a good luck charm. And say, okay, well, I did my duty. I fulfilled the command. I prayed for Jerusalem. Now I hope that I'm going to be blessed. I can't take Genesis 12 and say, I bless those who bless you. And so I want blessing in my life, so I'm going to bless the people of Israel. No, God looks at the heart. He says, and so we respond and say, God, give me a heart of love. Give me a heart that's aligned with you. Give, stir me on the inside so that I can, I can partner together with you. Pray these prayers. Pray these scriptures. Lord, you command the blessing. I'm going to give myself no rest until you establish Jerusalem and make her praise in the earth. Isaiah 62. 
God wants to give us that desire that I was speaking that Paul and Moses walked in last night of an anguish in our heart, the gift of travail, that we cry out to the Lord for Israel's salvation. Father, we pray that your people would be saved. We pray that they would come, that the blinders would fall off their eyes, Lord God, that the, the dullness of their hearts, that you would, that you, that you would make, get, take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And you begin to pray the scripture back to the Lord and he begins to partner together with you. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, in the most unexpected place, Place, you're going to bump into Jewish people and you're going to have something to say because you've already prayed something. That's good. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord. God commands us to seek the spiritual and physical good of the people of Israel and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray, pray, pray. Action step number one, pray. Second, learn. Give yourself to learning. Seek to understand the Jewish roots of the faith. These scriptures that we've talked about, these ideas, these seven different uh, reasons why to stand with Israel, dig into them, get them till you own them, until you can say them back to the Lord and you can teach them to others. Be in the mode of learning. Father, I want to understand. What is it in the feast that you were longing to reveal, not only to a people, but to the nations, because you said that they were your feasts, your appointments, what is it that you want to show of, of, the, of the pointing towards Jesus, that they were a tutor, to, that we could recognize Jesus when he came? Begin to learn, dig into these things. This, this opportunity that Maya is sharing to do once a month, teaching times on this, avail yourself of that. Get, connect to it and say, we, want, we don't want to be left behind. We don't want to be left out in an isolated corner of the n- Northwest. We don't want to be, be out at the end and, and where th- there's movement going, but we want to be right in the center of what your plan and what you're doing here in the earth. Give yourself to learning. There's plenty of resources that the team here can share with you, people that we partner together with. They've written wonderful books and have opportunities for more learning. Equip yourself with the right kind of information. So much of the media comes with a slant that's against the Word of God. Don't allow yourself to be informed by CNN, particularly media sources that come from outside the United States. It's even worse. Just blatant in, 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 its, in its bias against the nation of Israel. Learn how to find re- responsible reporting that gives an accurate picture of what's going on with Israel so that you can pray from an informed place. And I encourage you to learn the basics of what's going on today, surrounding Israel, surrounding that, the, the, that place, the war over Jerusalem, the fight, the contention that's going on there so that you can pray with understanding. So pray. This is action point one. Action point two is to give yourself to learning. Action point three is give. Give of yourself. Paul speaks of something pretty uh, radical. Don't worry, I'm not going to take an offering. That's not the point of, the, of this. But Paul, he's in Romans 15. Let me just, let me turn there quickly. He had, he had this amazing attitude and heart as he went through. And he didn't ask anything from the churches that he ministered in. He was a tent maker. He provided for himself because he didn't want there to be any stumbling block to the gospel. But one thing he seemed very confident in was receiving collections. He even would write letters to them and say, go ahead and prepare in advance so we don't have to waste time taking an offering when I come. Just have it all ready and set it up yourselves and organize it yourselves to take for the poor back in Jerusalem. And I believe that there's something about our giving that connects our hearts 
to this core. Somehow our wallet is connected to the core of our being. So when we begin to connect our giving to God's purposes, we come into spiritual alignment. And so Paul, even though he didn't require from the churches that he was planting an offering, he wasn't ashamed. And so here in, in Romans 15, verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are the, their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been part takers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Ouch. Wow. He's saying, here's I've been an apostle amongst the Gentiles, and I've brought these riches of the adoption, of the glory, of the oracles of God, of the covenants, of the promises, of the patriarchs, and all these things, and of the Messiah himself. Here are, here are, are the things I've presented to you. And as you've received life from it spiritually, give physically back to the poor in Jerusalem. Find a way. People have have connected to this principle, and as they've seen it borne out, it's borne a good testimony in their life when they give out of a motivation of love and heart, not trying to fulfill a formula like I said before. They see the blessing of God unlocked in their life. There's a popular preacher from Dallas area that um, has been blessed with great prosperity in his circle. And he teaches this principle, and he says from long ago he learned that he gives first to Jewish ministry. And he's seen God's blessing released in his life. And it's written up in books, and there's lots of different examples, so I don't want to belabor that. Secondly, give yourself. Give yourself in friendship and in love. Find, seek out Jewish people that you can stand in solidarity with. You don't have to shove the gospel down them. What they need is a demonstration of the love of God that will, that will melt the hardness of their hearts. Love turns the Jewish heart like nothing else. When you, you meet Jewish believers and all around the world, they have the same testimony over and over again. A Gentile showed me unconditional love and I saw the Messiah for the first time. It's amazing. I have heard that testimony all my life over and over again. Give yourself, show yourself as a friend that you stand with Israel in a Bible-based commitment to God. And fourth of all, go. So pray, learn, give. And fourth action step is go. Look for an opportunity to go to the land. Consider making a prayer journey to Israel. Go and Touch the land. See what it is that God is doing. I want to tell you, you can take any tour that's going on. It's very easy to sign up for those things or you whiz around the country and you walk where Jesus walked. Something much greater than that is go and connect to the remnant, the believing body that's, that's coming alive again. Go and meet real people, real faces. Hear their testimonies. Hear their stories. Stand with them. Sow into them. Partner together with them. Encourage them in what they're doing. Take a step. Go beyond yourself. Give of yourself and go and uh, show your support, learn, and show solidarity together with Israel. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these action steps. Father, would you just stand to your feet? Father, we come back to the spirit of adoption, of your choosing, of your plan. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you connect us to your family. You connect us to a heritage. That you connect us, Lord, both Jew and Gentile, Lord, together as one new man, Lord God, to your purposes in the earth of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do.
And Lord, we want to be right in the center of where you are acting. We want to be right in the center of where you're moving, Father God. We want to be in the center of your heart, Lord God. We ask that you would align us spiritually, Lord God. Lord, that we would begin to see with a greater fullness, Lord God. Father, that you would open our eyes with revelation, Father God. Father, if it comes by revelation, Lord God, that we say, open our eyes. We receive. We want to be a recipient of your revelation tonight.